This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tactical Leader Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Joe Evangelisti, and we're going to discuss how he is in the realm of legacy building, executive coaching, and helping people build self-storage syndicates. Before we begin, I'll remind you, this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're ready to discover, embrace, and share your voice, head over to nightly.productions to find out how we can help you do just that and then create the tactical content that delivers. Again, that's nightly.productions. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Zach, for having me. I appreciate it. Man, I'm super excited about this. Veteran to veteran, we're always going to have good conversations that other people just can't have. So I'm excited to unpack your journey. And I want to give the audience just a quick opportunity to know a little bit about you, where you were once known as the flip king of real estate before you discovered the overlooked profits hiding in the self-storage industry. You've gone from flipping over 100 homes per year to making 10 times more in profits from only doing five to 10 storage deals per year, which more money, less work is always a great thing. In addition to self-storage investing, you're an author, host of your own podcast called The Legacy Blueprint, and you're the CEO of two other seven and eight figure businesses. And you are really just crushing the world with a lot of foundational piece from the U.S. Navy. You've had letters of appreciation from President Clinton, service medals. We're going to unpack all of that. On top of it, you're able to maintain a beautiful wife, Ashley, and two girls up in New Jersey, which probably is the hardest part of all of it, if we're being honest. True story. Three girls, not easy. Man, you're way outnumbered there, man. And before we dive into the business... (laughs) I really want to know, like, what is a fun fact that we just might not know about you? Man, okay. Start with the hardest question I think anybody's ever asked me on a podcast. A fun fact that people don't know about me. Hmm. I guess I'm not that fun, Jack. I mean, I love real estate. I love uh, hanging out in the water whenever I can possibly do that. And I love hanging out with my girls. That's it. I mean, there's not a lot of fun facts about me. I'm, I'm kind of entrenched in real estate and coaching, but I love that piece of it. So I think that, you know, maybe it's not as fun, but it's a fact. Hey, man, I love it. I think that's (laughs) head down, completing the mission, right? Really focusing on all of that. And I imagine in in the veteran world, you know, the spouse is usually the true head of everything. She runs it. Tell us about the family a little bit, man. Are are they, uh, obviously, they're a big passion piece attached to everything you're doing, but is she really the brains behind the operation? Yeah, no, actually, absolutely. I mean, you know, she's my rock. She, I can't, I couldn't do any of this stuff without her. We call her the CEO of the house. So I don't do anything in this dumb domicile without her permission. But yeah, she definitely runs stuff for us. She keeps me in check. She keeps me poised. She keeps me, you know, motivated when I need to be motivated, but also she doesn't hesitate to put a foot in my ass when I need it. So she definitely keeps me balanced. Can't be upset for a woman that could put a foot in your ass. That's uh, that's right. We need that a lot. That's right. (laughs) Well, let's dive into way back when, man. Obviously, you are a U.S. Navy veteran. Like I said, you had a really awesome 
aspect of service there. Of course, we appreciate your service here as the the veteran world man, but unpack that for us. When did you join? You jump in early. I was a late bloomer. I didn't get in until 28, so I was already an old man before I jumped in. But tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, I mean, I'm really a product. I, I tell everyone, like, it started with me with construction, right? My dad was the first entrepreneur in our family. My Both his parents were off the boat from Sicily. And so growing up, my experience, I got to see my dad be an entrepreneur. He was a drywall contractor, turned general contractor, turned builder throughout my years, throughout my early life. And, you know, my parents were divorced at a very early age. I think I was two. And so I always had my mom on the week and my dad on the weekends. So I would literally spend the weekends, my dad walking around job sites, afraid I was going to like fall down a hole and kill myself, holding onto his leg, you know, but, you know, from the earliest age, I can remember I had a broom in my hand sweeping, or I had a try to figure out how to nail, or, you know, I was taping drywall and I had in my blood. I always have loved and I still love taking something and turning it in, you know, taking nothing or taking something and turning it into something better. Right. So if it's a piece of ground putting up a structure or if it's a house and we renovate it and then kick it back out, or if it's a self-storage where we take, you know, again, bigger piece of ground and put something up, it's always been my passion. And so I always tell people I got lucky uh, right at the end of high school. One of my dad's foremans was actually a retired reservist senior chief in the Navy. And he was stationed at Fort Dix, which is only about 20 miles from our house. And I was telling him one day, like, I really have this urge to serve, but I love construction. And he was like, well, that's what I did. You can join the Seabees. And he explained to me what that was. And it's the construction battalions of the U.S. Navy. For those that don't know, not a lot of people know what they are. And, you know, and he basically walked me step by step. Like, this is how you get recruited. This is how you go tell them what you want to be. You know, don't let them kick you back to being a helicopter mechanic, you know, put your foot down. This is what you want, the whole thing. And, you know, after some effort and some delayed entry and all that kind of stuff, you know, I actually, I ended up getting what I wanted, which was becoming a builder in the U.S. Navy Seabees. And that was really the precipice for what got me into the Navy. And then, you know, I had an amazing career from that point. I love that. And my dad is a Navy vet. He was a Vietnam guy, engineer. And I have a mad amount of respect for the Navy, as much fun as we poke across branches. But told me an interesting story sure. once upon a time, or a different aspect about the Navy, which I thought was funny. I'm curious if you can verify it. He said that he never learned how to swim. And when he explained that to me, I'm like, Dad, you're in the Navy. Like, I feel like that's like a core instructional value of like, I go to basic training, you go to like swim camp or something, right? And he literally said, well, the whole point is you stay on the ship and then you don't have to worry about swimming. Did they ever teach you to swim in the Navy? So your dad's boot camp was obviously a lot different than my boot camp was. You know, there wasn't a ton of water. It was mostly your building was your ship. So everything was ship related, ship this, ship that. But I do remember clearly having to jump off of a 12 or 14 foot diving board into a 10 foot body of water and, and swim my way out of there. Not only that, they teach you in the Navy. And this is going way back. I haven't worn that uniform since boot camp, but you have a dungaree outfit that you're wearing. And when you jump in the water, you take it off and you turn it into a flotation device and you open it up and put air in there and tie it off and all this kind of stuff. So I don't know if your dad missed that part or they didn't do that back when he went in. And I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, but I do remember doing that. A lot of people couldn't swim until that day. No, it just, it always made me laugh. It's always a fun part yeah. of the poke of the Navy. And, but it's obviously like a great foundational piece. And I think one thing that veterans across all branches bring into entrepreneurship, business building. We have a different mindset towards things. Can you tell us just a, a lesson that you brought from like the battlefield into the boardroom where it's helped yeah. you build business? I think right along those lines is you just hit the nail on the head. Like I'm, I'm constantly helping coach and teach our people to do what's the number one thing that you can get paid for. It's problem solving. 
right? Like if you can become a problem solver, the bigger problems, the more money you're going to make. And that's true inside the company, outside the company as an owner, like uh, the bigger problems I solve, the more money I make, right? So that was something that was instilled in me definitely from day one in the CBs. The CBs have this moss can do. And essentially, you know, we're doing it all. It doesn't matter. You put it in front of us, it's getting done. To extend that motto, they say, the difficult we do in a day, the impossible takes a little longer, right? Like there's no problem we can't solve. You put us in the middle of the desert, we're going to build you a fort. Like it's going, it, it, whatever it takes to make it happen. And I think that instilled into my business that now it's like, we will not lose. Like, I don't care what has to happen, what we have to do, you know, as long as it's ethical and moral and right, we're going to do that thing and we're going to win. And so I think that mentality is definitely something that was instilled in me. I love that aspect of things. And I mean, you've spread that across, you have a digital media company, e-learning, self-storage development, obviously the real estate investing aspect. One thing that you mentioned prior to us recording is that you also have a syndicate mastermind that brings people together that are interested in building um, different syndications and co-investing in deals in this realm, which obviously indicates like a big piece of like that teamwork, right? To be able to facilitate a group like that, you have to have a foundational level of teamwork. I run a couple of masterminds. I know the personalities can be crazy and you're bringing people from all sorts of industries into this. Can you tell us a little bit about that legacy developers piece and how you're managing this mastermind? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. You know, I think that anything that's great stems out of some kind of need. You know, I always look at like, when did this thing evolve? And it evolved not too long ago because as developers, you know, we're out there setting the groundwork, we're blazing new trails, new trails. I mean, my partner and I never built a self-storage development until two years ago. So now, you know, it's a different industry for us. And so we bring something fresh to the industry that kind of like, I don't know if you're familiar with the blue ocean strategy, but they always say like where the sharks are feeding, that's the red zone. You don't want to be in there. Everybody's feeding. So we actually took and got into storage development with a single family fix and flip marketing approach, meaning most of the stuff that we learn how to do, we buy off market. We're having conversations direct with sellers. We're finding deals. And what that precipitated into was so many people asking us, how are you doing it? Where are you finding your deals? How are you packaging them? How are you designing them? How can I get involved? Can I invest in it? Can I do this? And so the, the storage syndicate was basically an evolution of, look, I want to work with great people. And so I want to vet the people who I'm going to work with. I want to get them put into a group where, yes, there's a monthly fee, but they're paying for knowledge, they're paying for access, and they're paying for the ability you know, to grow what they know, right? So we have some developers are in there. They're really just trying to hook up with great designers and contractors and subcontractors. We have some people who are accredited investors, and they're really just watching people learn and build and offer deals so they can get to know them one-on-one before they invest their money. And then we have some people in there that are really new to real estate altogether, and we're teaching them how to go find the deals, you know, source them, put them under contract, and then get a piece of equity, get a fee up front. You know, we had a couple guys last year on that side with no real estate experience. This was kind of beta before we went live. Three guys made over a quarter million dollars in net worth in the first six months that we ran this. So we know that the product worked. The environment was, let's get them all under one roof where we can have like really good interactive discussions. We can throw events, we can do networking, we can meet up. And it's a true syndicate. That's why we call it a syndicate. We're all in here to, to win together. I love that framing. And you really hit the nail on the head with the value of a mastermind as a whole is like to put people 
that have a like-minded mission goal-oriented into the same room and then expand knowledge, but also expand business. And I think that's such a valuable aspect of masterminds as a whole. And it really kind of crafts a different perspective for you as the facilitator, where you're in this mentoring capacity, you're in this coaching capacity. Can you tell us a little bit about the value of coaches, mentors, people in that along that path that have been in your journey that have helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, I'll tell you what, masterminding, coaching, mentor, all of these things you're talking about came to me in a place in time when I was at my absolute rock bottom, right? I had started to, and I'll take it back a second. I got into real estate in 2007, right? Which was arguably the worst time in the world to get into real estate. And I wanted to be a fix and flipper. And so we were about three deals deep and I was using my own cash, putting 20% down, was me and a partner. I had liquidated all of my savings from the military, dumped it into real estate thinking it's 2007, man, we're going to flip these things and make hundreds of thousands. We're going to be great. We're going to, we'll be rich overnight. But what happened was the second we got six months into these deals, the market started softening. Now it didn't pop until 08, but at the end of tail end of 07, early 08, it was already, you know, the rumblings were underneath, right? Underneath the surface. So, you know, we ended up getting stuck with three properties but we thought we we're going to flip. We had to pivot. We had to course correct, right? And so we were lucky in that we were able to stabilize those assets and, and get long-term bank financing, put tenants in place. But now I wake up a year later and I'm a landlord, right? I went out and got my real estate license to make commission. I'm bartending nights and weekends to pay for daycare. You know, like I'm really tactically trying to do whatever it takes to win, which is what we've always been built on. But at some point, fast forward four or five years from there, Zach, I had two young, very young girls at that point, daughters. I call my wife and, you know, I can't make it home for dinner. Well, one night in particular, I called her at 6.30 and I said, I can't make it home for dinner. And she was like, yeah, no shit. Dinner was at 5.30. Like, I figured you're not making home for dinner, right? And then I got home at like 9.30 and my kids are already asleep and I'm kissing them in their beds and I go lay down. I look up at the ceiling and go, what? what is going on? Why am I doing this? Why am I working so hard and not really accomplishing anything? And what I realized was... I wasn't controlling my time right. You know, I wasn't really putting emphasis on the value of the time that I invested. What I would do is I would be rushing and chasing and putting out fires and texting people and calling back from 8 a.m. to 6.30. And then I would do all my work from 6.30 to 9, the important what we call high income earning activities, right? So at that point, I realized something's got to give, something's got to change. And so going back to your original question, mentors, coaches, masterminds, I knew I had to find somebody. And my first mentor that I originally started paying to give me advice was like, you got to recondition your time. You have to take better control of your time because why do we do this? We always say we do this for our kids. That's a bullshit answer if you're not seeing your kids grow up, right? If you're getting home at 930 more than three or four nights a week, that's a problem, right? And so they did so much for me to learn how to build culture and to create opportunity to build a team that I love to be around. And basically, they laid the groundwork over many years for our switch into the self-storage industry and how we really went from having 50 employees doing single-family flips to about 15 employees doing self-storage because we value time, we value culture, and we even teach it to the people inside of our, on our teams right now. I mentor and coach them, mastermind with them each week. You know, teaching them about the value of time commitment and taking care of your family, being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good father or mother. And really the byproduct is you get better people on the backside, right? So I would say masterminds changed my world in so many ways, but it's also the foundation for why I do it myself because I believe in it. I'm a product of it. And I'm still investing well over six figures a year on my education. I'm in masterminds. I'm paying for coaching. I have coaches for different things. And so 
you know, it's like, you know, what's the hair club for men? I'm not just the president. I'm a member. I'm not the member. I'm, I'm also the president. It's like, I look at it that way. I run a mastermind because I know the power of it. And I'm still invested in other masterminds at the same time. They're just that impactful when you invest in yourself. A hundred percent agree with everything you said, except for asking me the quote about the hair club for men part. <laughs> not something I'm oh, familiar man. with. Nice little jab there. I see what you did. I see. Well played. I actually, Snipe I shot. actually wasn't even thinking about that. That's funny. No, man. I, I really do. I agree with every aspect of that. And it, and it goes into that like self-education, being a student of life, really focusing on the growth as a whole. And what I really love about your story, your journey you didn't stay in that normal realm of like veterans, right? I think I see a lot of veterans as they're transitioning. I'm on the board of a veteran nonprofit here in Atlanta and finding your identity in that transition piece has been so difficult for a lot of people. I know it was difficult for me getting out. And it was one of those that we tend to cling to that uniform. We cling to the same thing. In reality, you're never going to find the same thing. You're never going to find the same brotherhood. You're never going to find that exact same feeling, except maybe close to a mastermind, right? When you build that proper culture. Can you talk to us a little bit about that transition, how you found yourself, your identity, and beyond that aspect, like how you really got on this path overall? Yeah, no, it's it's interesting you compare it to a lot of vets because we work with a lot of vets. I have a veterans foundation. We donate to multiple different veterans charities. And I'm still very tight in the veteran community and have tons of friends from 20 years ago, which I'm dating myself, but you know, when I first got out. Yeah, I left your years of service out. I was trying to do a little bit of favor for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like I didn't know how long I've been out. But no, I mean, I think that what's interesting, I'm not saying I'm unique or I'm different. I always had that entrepreneur's like mindset, even when I was in the Navy. I actually had two jobs. If we were at home port, I was working in a kitchen. Like I always had that entrepreneur grind. So for me, the transition was I know I'm getting out because I'm going to be in construction. And my initial job I took was actually in the Defense Intelligence Agency in, in Washington, DC, knowing that that was also going to be a stepping stone to I'm going to open a business at some point in time, but let's go make some money right now. And so my transition, I feel like I don't know if I would say it was easier than others, but I never did get lost in that shuffle of what do I do next? But that being said, I've helped a lot of people who have, you know, and I think a lot of it is identifying on who you are. One of my best friends just retired after 23 years of service. And, you know, he was having a little bit of that. We call it imposter syndrome, right? Like it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like I should be running this business. It doesn't feel like this is mine. Like, you know, I've been working for someone else for so long, or I've always had a chain of command and now I'm out on my own. So I think working on that mindset and eradicating some of those limiting beliefs that you have to have someone in command, that you can't be the guy running your life and running your your day-to-day. By eradicating some of those, it's easier to make a transition and really believing in yourself, right? I mean, you know, we have some of the most biggest badasses in the world coming out of the military and then they get out after doing things that most human beings could never accomplish. And then they get into business and they're like, I don't know if I want to invest money in an operating agreement. It's like, man, you were dodging bullets six months ago. How is this scary to you? You know, but it's the truth. It's a very difficult trend for some. You know, I just think my mindset was always that this is where I was meant to be. I love that because it, it is, it's funny. I mean, I, I deployed to the Green Berets to Afghanistan. Like I was on a SWAT team here in Atlanta. I've done like the shit, right? Yeah. You deployed during a time of the invasion of Iraq. Like you've done the shit, right? And to hear guys of the, I mean, it's a, 
piece I've struggled with, right? Coming out of all of that into business ownership. And I've had a business for five, six years now, among several now, where it's like, you still have that factor of where like, how do you operate outside of the construct of maybe it's security, brotherhood that like you're talking about, you have that person telling you what to do. Now, all of a sudden you're busting, you still have the wife. Let's not forget you're still told what to do. But overall, man, it, it is one of those where you, you have to be malleable in that. And I think having grace with yourself is one of those that a lot of veterans forget because we don't really get taught that, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, you're hitting the nail on the head right there. A lot of people don't even think about giving themselves a little bit of leeway, a little bit of credit, you know, but I think the other thing too, is thinking that you can only have a military structure and not, you can't build your own culture. I think that's a big missing component, right? Like, how do you get that put back? You build it or you go join it, right? How do you get people you want to, I used to journal for years and years. I haven't shared this for a while with anybody, but for years and years, I would ask myself the question over and over again, how do I surround myself with a team of people I love doing business with? Like I would ask myself that question every morning. I'd write it down in this journal and I would sit there and try to figure out, well, how do I do it? It starts with the leader. It starts with the visionary. And I think that that's one of those missing components is people think like, how can I do this? You can do it because you did it before, right? Like you led people in battle. You did these amazing things. And now I say to people now, I want us breaking shit. Right? I want you going out and, and creating issues and trying to solve bigger problems and breaking stuff along the way because you know Les Brown says anything worth doing right is worth doing wrong. Right, Go out there and break it in, until it's perfected, until we can go out and do something scalable with it. And I think that's one of the things is it starts at the top, that mindset. You know, And when you can create that culture and create that mindset, then you're going to start to create the people and the community that you want to be part of as a byproduct. Yeah, I, I love that, man. And Les Brown, I mean, amazing man, obviously has great insights over years of experience. And I found for me a big piece of it, especially, and you've done a phenomenal job of this, where you've pushed yourself into that personal branding realm, right? You're not just, here's my business is what I'm selling. You are who you are in that personal brand. And I think that's a huge piece that a lot of people maybe struggle with and try to get themselves out there. Is there something in business where you're like, man, I'm not good at this, or you like cringe away from? Is it sales marketing? I mean, you have the digital marketing piece, but is there an arena of business where you're like, hell no, I don't want to deal with this? And then you like kind of push yourself into, all right, I have to do this because I'm the boss man. I am the one setting the tone for it. I think of anything, it would be the exact reverse of that. I think I used to do that when I had before I had my breakdown back in the day because I was an island, right? I could do everything. Just you know, I'll figure it out. I'll work my way through it, but. I think maybe it's maturity or maybe it's time around great people and, and learning this from experience of watching people do it. But great, great business owners and visionaries, one of the things that they can do to really create the culture they want is to A, be super honest with yourself. Right? What do you want? What are you good at? Where do you want to take it? Right? A lot of people can't ask that, answer that question. What do you want? Right? Like, What do you want? What are you doing it for? Are you doing it for pride? Are you doing it for ego? Are you doing it to make a ton of money? Are you doing it for your kids? Like, Why? And then, you know, ultimately getting vulnerable around that, right? Like living your unique self. I think what you were tapping into there, which was so interesting is not enough people go out there and express who they are, be vulnerable about it. Like I used to call it my Superman complex. I'll give you a quick sidebar. So back in the day when I was a realtor and I was flipping houses, right? I was a realtor and I was a flipper. I would get up in the morning and I would put on a suit and tie because that's when I started before Keller Williams took over. Like everybody dressed up for real estate, right? Like as a broker, you had to wear a suit and tie. So I used to get up in the morning, put a suit and tie on, go to the office, prospect all morning, set appointments, get buyers on the hook, sellers on the hook, whatever, set appointments for the weekend, get open houses set up. And then at noon, I would run home and get a, sh- not a shower, I would get eat lunch and get changed. And I would put on a t-shirt and jeans. 
and I would go out and visit the job sites and I would run around with a checkbook in my hand, like an idiot and, you know, pay people and pick up materials and pick up toilets and tile or whatever at Home Depot in the back of my Lexus. But I never wanted my real estate clients to know I was flipping houses. And I never wanted my like subcontractors to know I was, was like this hoity toity realtor. Right. So like I call my Superman story because like I never felt like I was my unique self. I was always either Clark Kent or Superman. I was always one or the other, but I could never be the same person in the right room. And I think fast forward many years, you know, getting super comfortable in your skin, not giving a shit if my tattoos are hanging out, you know, telling people what who I am and what I'm about. Like the more comfortable you can get in your with yourself, that's a superpower in itself. And I think a lot of people will spend a lot of years hiding who they are. And the reality of it is people want to know you. They want to know the vulnerable you. They want to know Elon Musk is almost on you know, one day he's almost bankrupt. The next day is the richest man in the world. That that's part of his story, right? That's what makes him interesting. And so for a lot of us, we're hiding what makes us interesting by not just being comfortable in our own skin. And I love so much of what you just said because it's funny. I mean, I've got a full sleeve of armor of tattoo. I see mm-hmm. you've got the full sleeve. You know, having that alternative look, because as veterans, a lot of us do. We come out, yeah. we have a quote unquote alternative look. I even right now, you know, if I were to put a suit on, you'd never see a single tattoo, but I have earrings in, I have a different look about me, right? Yeah. And I think one big shift for me is exactly where you're hitting, being comfortable in your own skin, where if you can shift the mindset of like the uniform is the uniform that you're wearing is like that umbrella of protection, you know, your skin is that same realm, right? You step into who you are in that branding aspect. That's where, and that was the big shift, even on this podcast, it was a big shift. I rebranded it about a year ago and it was from tactical leadership to the tactical leader. And that was like that step forward was like, as soon as you do that, your ideal client starts popping up, your people, you're like your community starts crafting itself around you because they become drawn like a magnet to exactly what you're putting out there. And that is a totally powerful shift when you can actually do that as a business owner, as an entrepreneur. And all of a sudden, it's like, you don't have to look for your people. Your people are there because they're finding you, right? That's right. That's what's so special because I think when, you know, we, we call that imposter syndrome thing again. I think a lot of people live that so long that they don't seem authentic. And, you know, like I did a lot of real estate work. I was always, I mean, I love the people. I didn't really love the process. Like I didn't love people getting in wars over like hot water heaters. Like that would drive me nuts. But like, you know, I was a guy in a suit and tie. And so I was always like in sales mode instead of just being who I am. Right. And so even though I was very successful at it, like I look back on it, I'm like, man, I wish I was who I, who I am. I probably would have done more business. The truth is like, you know, if I would have been a tattooed dude walking around with a t-shirt on when everyone else is wearing a suit and tie, I would have stood apart. People would have been like, I resonate with that guy. You know, maybe we should go. He sounds like a guy you want to hang out with for three hours on a Saturday and go look at houses. Right. Yeah. It's a different animal. Hundred percent. And the funny thing is, in my early days of business ownership at a security firm, I was walking to C suites. I'm like, I have to be in a suit. That's what they expect. You know, yeah. they expect this image. But the guys I was talking to were a bunch of veterans, and yeah. just because of that realm, that's who the ops guys were. Were veteran guys, right? So it's like if I walked in there looking like a vet, they'd been like, "Oh, this dude's cool," right? Yeah. And if they see it and to correlate this for everybody else, a lot of people get afraid of like, well, if I really am my true self, people are going to dislike me. That's already going to happen. Yep. And those are the people that are, you don't want as clients anyways. They're never going to buy from you anyways when they find out who the hell you are. Totally. So like, go ahead and like push them away. Be done with it to get that clarity, right? Yeah, yeah. I used to fire clients when I was in real estate, you know, if it wasn't the right fit. And I think I look back on like, I probably would have had to do that less if I wasn't attracting people who weren't like me. You know, if I would have just gone out there in the beginning and been who I was, I wouldn't have gotten the relationships with people that I didn't want to work with, which is how I am today. 
you know, today it's more, you want to buy an e-com store, you want to get invested in the mastermind, you want to come to a destination event. It's more of a qualification about the other person than it is, am I a value to you? I know my value. Like, I know what we're going to bring. I know it's going to be the best you can possibly, you know, get out of us. But at the end of the day, I'm more concerned about who you are as a guest or who you are as a member of the mastermind or, you know, whatever it looks like. So that I think comes from confidence of who I am and knowing that like we have a, we have a no a-hole rule everywhere, like in, in our groups, in our destinations, in our whatever, right? Like it just, it, we're all about winning and helping each other lift up and win together. So if there's a Debbie Downer or a guy that's going to sit there and complain about deals or, you know, whatever, any of that type of, it's just, you're not, you're in the wrong environment. You know, this is the environment we're creating. I love it. And obviously that feeds perfectly into like the culture, talking about culture and everything you're building. And I want to take a second to shift just a little bit to talk about your podcast, The Legacy Blueprint. Mm -hmm. Legacy is a big thing that we talk about here, not necessarily just starting with why, but ending with why is that legacy. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, tell the audience what they can expect and how they can hear more of this content from you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the Legacy Podcast is a passion project for me. I've never made any money off of it, but it's not that you should go out to set a podcast and make money, but you know, some people do. It's been for me, it's been an inspiration to invite entrepreneurs that I do know, entrepreneurs that I don't know, hear their story. And really what we focus on are you know, some of the hard truths of ownership, right? That vulnerability piece again, like what are some of the things that knocked you down and almost kept you down, but you kept going, right? Because I think that what most entrepreneurs need to hear is I'm not alone, right? Like I feel like I get punched in the face every single day. The more money I make, the more I get punched in the face. You know, the more my scale gets, the more I get punched in the face and people are like, is this the way it's supposed to be? Right. And the reality of it is yes, success comes with a price. Right. And so become a problem solver, get punched in the face, you know, get that knocked down, but get back up. You know, I use uh, Conor McGregor for as an analogy a lot. Like, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's the wealthiest fighter ever fighting the UFC, but he's also probably the biggest name ever come out of the UFC. And the reality of it is, if you look at his scorecard, like he's been knocked down, he's been knocked out, but he's lost matches. He's not undefeated. It's not like he's a Mayweather running around. Right. But what makes him so powerful is you're always rooting for him. Right. He's got that confidence factor. And even when he gets knocked out, you're like, oh, next fight, you know? And so that's what it really is like the shape of a real entrepreneur. And that's what I try to bring out with the legacy blueprint is what are we leaving behind that are, that are good tools that, you know, maybe your grandkids, grandkids, you know, do something different because you learned from that episode, you know, Hey, maybe I'm going to try this thing. And so we're leaving a legacy. It's not about my kids. My kids are fine. My kids will be great when I die and they'll, they'll be taken care of. It's about what are we doing for generations of the community down the road because of what we can lay here. And this technology thing is unbelievable, man. You know, like we're in recording forever, you know, so uh, it's out there and, you know, I know eventually it'll change lives and it's already changing lives. Yeah. hundred percent, man. I think it's such a, a beautiful thing to be talking about in that realm. And having that type of technology attached to what we're creating, especially, I mean, you have the kids already, right? So like that legacy is already there and them being able to go back in 20 years and be like, Oh, listen to my dad on this recording. I think it's just such like a fascinating concept where the grandkids are going to go back and listen to what yeah. you were doing way back when and how you were able to build that generational wealth and hear this type of story of your journey where they're like, wow, he was a scrub from the Navy. And then all of a sudden he's like this, ma <laughs> but he all of a sudden yeah. he's this magnate, no, right? Like all of a sudden you created all this wealth and they can look back and appreciate and hear the journey. I think it's fascinating. And we're already talking about legacy. And I, I wanted to, to talk about your podcast to segue into this question. I ask every guest this, and I'm really fascinated yeah. to know your answer. Yeah. What is the legacy you want to leave on the world with everything you're putting into it? You know, everybody 
is out here for one of two reasons. And if they're really learned leaders and they're really trying to grow, they're looking for growth and they're looking for contribution, right? So, you know, the whole concept of this thing, this legacy blueprint is how do we grow? How do we grow to be better parents? How do we grow to be better leaders? How do we grow to be better business owners? The byproduct, the money and all that kind of stuff that happens because you become the person that deserves that, right? So, you know, really the concept is how do we teach people to become better people and hit that contribution level and hit that growth level where you can stay in that zone and not sweat all the little details, knowing that like, there's going to be another hurdle tomorrow. There's going to be another obstacle. Like today might be awesome. Tomorrow might be really, really tough, but all of these adversities are just being put in our way to create opportunities. And so the more that we can struggle, the better we're going to become. I absolutely love that, Joe. And I know you're on that great journey yourself and leading by example there. I want to give the audience an opportunity to find all your content. Obviously, you have a ton of amazing content out there from the podcast. You have courses out there. You obviously the mastermind. Go ahead and give the audience the opportunity to learn how can they best connect directly with you, find this content and find everything else about you. Yeah, really the two websites to go to are LegacyBuilder.Coach. LegacyBuilder.Coach is our coaching website, but there's also a ton of free content, downloads, evaluations. Our blog has tons of ideas on how to become a great leader, how to go out and and take action and and actually move forward towards your goals. And then really the uh, investwithlegacy.com is a legacy developer site. Investwithlegacy.com is where people can go to get connected on the storage side, whether they want to learn storage, they want to potentially buy storage. Maybe they're already in the storage market and they're looking for different opportunities. So inside of there, I mean, we're working with accredited investors. We're working with existing developers. We're working with people that don't really have experience and want to learn how to grow into the business. So that's really the best contact for that side of things. I love it. And of course, you're across all social media and the podcast is available across all standard podcasting platforms. Yes, sir. I love it. Joe, I appreciate it, man. And I encourage the audience, come back. We're going to get a little bit more tactical, a little bit more granular this Friday. Um, with Tactical Friday. But Joe, I want to thank you so much for your time and all the amazing stuff you've talked about today. Yeah, Zach. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.